each as you desire. And Lord, we ask that anointing to hear and receive all that you have for us today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Everybody says, hallelujah. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 7, Peter's beginning to unfold this charge to the church, and he's setting up a, a delineation between the saint and the, and, and the person who's rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that you have to understand is there is a line drawn in the sand, that God, God has this line drawn in the sand, and that line that God draws in the sand is Jesus. Jesus said, he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the line. Our line is not our political movement. Our line is not our denomination. Our line is not our pastor or our this or our that. The line in the sand is Jesus. That's the line in the sand. And and one of the things that we need to understand is sometimes the enemy can get us caught up in the wrong battles. The enemy can get us caught up in the wrong battles and the wrong causes, and we can give our life for things that are not eternal. But that which is eternal is Jesus. And that's the line in the sand. And there's this delineation here, beginning in verse number 7. Peter gets to, he said, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Speaking of Jesus, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. One of the things I want to point out before we move forward is that Jesus is precious to the believer. The the believer sees Jesus in a different way than the world does, obviously. But the part that I want to key in on is that he's precious. And whenever you see a, a, a child that finds something precious, a lot of times they just take that precious toy. It may be their favorite Lego or their favorite teddy bear, their favorite ball. In our house, sometimes it's my pen, you know, or my crayon. It's their precious thing, and they, they wrap their, their hands around it, and they just kind of cover it, and it's, it is precious to them, right? And we say, hallelujah, Jesus is precious to us. One of the sad realities, though, is that we have a lost and dying world around us, right? And one of the things that we need to understand is that our job as Christians is not to hover over the light of Jesus, Our job is not to shut the doors of the church. Our job is not to be quiet in the night and and be us for and no more. He is precious, but he's worthy to be exalted and lifted up so that the world can see that Jesus is precious, that he is worthy, that he is to be glorified, that he is to be honored, that his name is holy and not to be profane, that he is the one who we hope in, the one that we trust in. And one of the things that we see a lot of times in the church world is we take that that my precious mentality and a lot of times in people well-meaning, you know, we're going to sing about glory land and we're going to sing about heaven, but look, there's a lost world going to hell around us you know our ticket may be punched but there's many that are not and they need to know this precious Jesus they need to know who this precious Jesus is and I want you to know that God wants to use you God wants to use you so that other people can see how precious Jesus is. God has equipped you and called you as a child of God. He's put special gifts in you that he didn't give to others. He's used you. He will use you in a way that he won't use others. But God has given you this gift, not so that you can exalt yourself, not so that you can do this or do that, but so people can see he's precious. 
He's precious. He, this is God. This is God who is spirit, who lived in eternity past, who always dwelt in holiness, who always had the angels around him crying out, holy, 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 holy is our Lord, holy is our God. And one day, this creation that had rebelled against him, he came to this earth and he incarnated, he wrapped himself in flesh and he came to this earth and he allowed himself to be bruised, mocked, ridiculed, scorned, shamed, and he allowed himself to be sacrificed on that cross. He allowed them to put a crown of thorns on his head. He's the king of the universe. He's the creator of all things. And they put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him and ridicule him. And he allowed them to do it because he was purchasing the souls of mankind. He was purchasing the souls of mankind. He is precious. He is precious. And he defeated death. He defeated hell in the grave. And he rose from the dead on the third day. But one of the things that we see is that he is precious to us. And to others, he's a rock of offense. To those that don't believe on Jesus, he's a rock of offense. And one of the things that we need to understand in this generation is some, whenever you get around people, that the enemy does not like the light of Jesus Christ in you. The enemy does not like what God has done in you. And sometimes you may feel like, man, these people at work are giving me a hard time, or this person is giving me a hard time. But it's not you. It's the light of God in you. It's, that's what's bothering them. They may not even know. They may not even be able to articulate. And if you talk to them long enough, they'll twist their words all around because they don't even know why they're all messed up about you. But the brighter the light of God shines in you, the more the darkness around you is going to come again you and be offended about what God is doing. But listen, our God is greater. Our God is greater. Watch this. It says in the very next verse, he said, so there's that offense, they're disobedient, whereunto they're appointed. Verse number nine. But you, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Church, let me tell you something this morning, that the enemy does not want you to know this. But God has called you to himself. God has called you out of the darkness. The enemy wants you to think that he didn't call you out of darkness, that you can still kind of flirt with the darkness and you can still be around. But God said in 1 John chapter 1 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And what he meant was sin. What he meant was the sin, the guilt, and all of those things that come along with it. And the Bible here says that God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called you out of what you were in. How many of you remember the time that you were in darkness? How many of you remember the time that you were in condemnation? You remember that time that you were under the authority of Pharaoh. You were under the dominion of the devil. You were bound by darkness, bound by shame, bound by guilt, bound by your sin. You know, sin is a taskmaster. It makes you think that you're running it, but it controls you. It makes you, you, you think that you've got it under control, but it's got you on a leash and it'll only get, let you get so far before it pulls you back and makes you fall back down and worship it. But listen, God called you out of that darkness. 
God called you out of that darkness. And we as God's people have to understand that God, if we're out of the darkness, we have to then turn around and likewise reach reach back so that others can see the light of God, see that he's precious, and likewise come out of that darkness. Amen? A couple of things that I want to point out out of this. A royal priesthood. This is a, an interesting observation. In, in, in the book of Revelation, Jesus kind of talks about kings and priests, that you, you we're kings and priests. But a royal priesthood is, is, is kind of neat to think about because on one hand, the royal part of it means that you have, the, you, you have been given the authority of the king. You've been commissioned by Jesus to go into the world and rescue the perishing. You've been commissioned by Jesus to go into the world. And that means in your home. That means your husband or your wife or your children. That, that means your cousin or your aunt or your uncle. That means your parents or your friends, your co-workers to go into the world. You've been given a commission, a royal commission. You've been given a royal commission to go into the world and to save the lost, to go and speak the name of Jesus to those that don't know him, to show them how precious he is, right? Jesus said in Matthew 28, go, go ye into all the earth, go into all the world. And, and one of the things that we're supposed to do is to baptize and to teach people to observe the commandments of Jesus. Well, here we see something so beautiful. Not only are you a royal priesthood, but that royal part means that that authority. You've been given that authority by the king. But the priesthood means that you're to live a consecrated life to him. A consecrated life. What does it mean to be consecrated to the Lord? It means that you've given yourself to him. It means that you've surrendered who you are for his holy purpose. That your purpose in life is no more about making sure that, you know, you, you do good on this or you do good on that. But your purpose in life is to fulfill God's desire for you. You've consecrated yourself to him. You've given yourself over to him. And what Peter's talking about here, he says that you're a holy nation, a peculiar people. And this part I want you to see. That you should show forth the praises of him. You should show forth the praises of him. One of our highest callings in life is to show forth his praises. To show forth his praises is one of the highest callings we have in life. The, the, the word show there just means to display. That others, that we're not worshiping God in a box. We're not worshiping God in, in the quiet. We're not just worshiping God inside the four walls. But everywhere we go, everything that we do, every relationship we have, we are showing forth his praises in the way that we handle adversity, in the way that we handle hardship, in the way that we handle when people offend us, in the way that we handle when people disagree with us, in the way that we handle life. And one of the things that we see, the, the closer you get to the Lord, the more the world's going to come against you. And it, there's, there's this thing that you're going to have to understand. The world's coming against you, but God's called you to show forth His praises in the face of adversity. Amen? It's, listen, it is easy to shine on a good day. It's easy. I remember one pastor said, it's easy to bear fruit when it's sunny and that ground's been watered and they put fertilizer out. It's easy. And you can sometimes, you know, when you go through a hardship, you say, well, yeah, you, you wouldn't be singing that loud if you had to live my life. You, you wouldn't be clapping those hands if you were in my shoes. You know, and, and sometimes we can get that mentality and it's not of God. We have to understand this principle, though. God has called us to show forth praises 
even in adversity, even in the face of danger, even in perilous times, even in the face of adversity, God's called you to shine. Amen. So one of the things when when life is great, when when you get the promotion, when you get the new baby, when you get married, when you get the house, man, it's easy to shine. It's easy to let those praises just roll. But what about on the bad day? What about on the day that everything bottoms out? Let me tell you, God is worthy of our worship on those days. And the world, listen, the world needs to see a child of God that loves God more than this world, that is ready to show forth praises even in adversity. Even in adversity. And one of the things that we'll see in our generation and in our day and in our time, one of the things that we're going to see is God raising up a people that are sold out. God's going to raise up a church that's not into the trivial things. We're not into, we're not into the name it, claim it business. We're not into the ride the carousel and paint our face. We're not into all this. We're not into hay rides. What are we in for? We're in for the glory of the Lord, that Jesus is exalted, that souls get saved, that people find deliverance at the feet of Jesus, that God liberates those that are in bondage, that those that are in darkness come into the light, that we're here to worship Him, exalt Him, and praise Him his holy name. That's why we're here. And that's what we're going to do. And God's raising up a generation that hunger for that very thing. You may say, I, I, I'm not all into that. Well, we need to understand God's taking the church to deeper waters. God's taking the church to deep. Look, the church in America has been ridiculed for generations. I mean, we've been in shallow waters for long enough. It's time for the church to take a step of faith, to get into the deeper waters, and allow the Holy Spirit to clean house, to allow the Holy Spirit to allow the Holy Spirit to do a new thing in a new generation so that souls can be reached. Because one of the things we see is, you know, the formalities of the church. The, I mean, churches have been relegated to just simply being country clubs. I mean, that's really all we do. We sing Kumbaya, we're a country club, we have a pizza dinner, and we send everybody home. And that's, that is it. But that's not our calling. Our calling is to shine. Our calling is to show forth His praises. Our calling is to go out and to reach the lost and to show them who Jesus is. Amen? Well, I want to show you an example of adversity. If you will, turn with me to the book of Acts. I'm going to show you uh, an, an example of adversity in in the life of Paul, sometimes you think, you know, pastor, it's easier said than done. And it is easier said than done. I'm not making light of that. I'm not because it, it, it is hard. It's one of those things that only God can do it. As long as you stay surrendered to God, God will do it in you. But as long as we try to hold on to the steering wheel of life, it's not going to happen. As long as we, you know, as long as we try to be the dictator over our life, it's not going to happen. But once you begin to surrender control to the Lord, once you begin to release that, God will begin to do great things in your life. Now, Paul here faced hardship. How many of you know that Paul faced hardship? Church, church history uh, and church tradition says that Paul was so abused, like he didn't live the name it, claim it life. Like he didn't, he didn't drive around on a royal camel. I mean, he was beaten so many times, they say that he was blind in his eyes, he had a hunchback, and they had to lead him around from all of his beatings. In one, pa- in one passage, it says he was stoned and left for dead. And I don't know if you've ever watched somebody get stoned to death, 
But most of the time in that, in that culture, when they take rocks and they throw rocks at people so many times that they believe they're dead, they're usually pretty accurate. They pretty are ac- But the church gathered around Paul and prayed and prayed, and Paul survived. And he was a, he was, his face was all tore up, his body was all mangled, and yet he stayed faithful to the end. He stayed faithful to the end. Well, one of the things that we see, though, is that whenever you begin to look at certain passages of Scripture, people will take them out of context. But Paul lived a life of affliction. After he believed on Jesus, he lived a life of affliction. Watch this passage here. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Verse number 16. Acts 16, verse 16. Paul's Paul's doing his thing, preaching. It says, It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The enemy's always after money. It's always, yeah. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, what she said was not inaccurate, but it was in a mocking way. It was in a mocking way. The enemy will oftentimes mock the people of God. It says in verse number 18, And in this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out, of, came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone... They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs, which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, let's stop right there. Let's look at this. Paul is doing what Jesus told him to do, and what did he get for it? Beaten and put in jail. His commission was to go into this community and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he delivered this person from a demon that was tormenting this person. And oftentimes what people miss is this person got deliverance. Now, the people that were over her, they lost their income. And it's the same way. We go out, we're going to preach to people that are getting drunk or getting high or in this bondage or in that bondage. Well, people are losing customers. They're going to lose business because business is good in heaven. And God is rescuing souls. And God is saving the lost. And the, the enemy does not like that because it's losing business for the devil. He wants all he can get. But look... God's raising up a generation that will defy the enemy and defy the darkness and go and preach the name of Jesus to the lost, whatever the cost. And that's what Paul did. Whatever the cost, he went and he preached Jesus and he commanded the Spirit to leave this woman. She got delivered. Hallelujah. They should have been celebrating. They should have said, we're so happy for you. Praise the Lord. You're no longer possessed. You're no longer an addict. You're no longer a drunkard. You're no longer bound by iniquity or shame. You've been set free. They should have been glorifying God. But instead of glorifying God, they added 
to their sin. And they begin to beat Paul. And they begin to beat Silas. And they cast these men of God into prison. And let me tell you something. Not even It's not even the world. But even sometimes the Pharisees in the church, they don't like when you get on fire for God. They don't like it when you get excited about the name of Jesus. They don't like it when you begin to go into the highways and byways and compel the lost to come to the Lord and be saved. They don't like any of that. But that is exactly what our mission is. That is exactly what our calling. Look, it's not just mine. It's yours too. If you name the name of Jesus, the Great Commission applies to you. Now, you may not be obeying it. Maybe you're obeying it a little bit, but it applies to us. We have an obligation to listen to the words of Jesus. Go. Amen. Go. That's to us. That's not just for preachers. It's not just for the evangelists. And you may say, well, I can't go. I can't go. We're not talking about physically. We're not talking about physically. We're talking about you using your life. You using your life that others around you can see the light of Jesus. As Peter said earlier, to show forth his praises. You may not be able to go physically more than five feet, but you can go further than that by letting the light of Jesus shine in you. You can go further than that by calling somebody on the phone, by writing somebody a letter. You can affect those around you in great ways. You can pray for people. You can encourage people. And one of the things that we see here, though, is that uh, they, they beat them, and then they threw them in jail. They said, keep them safely. What that means is make sure they don't get out. It's the King James way of saying make sure they don't get out. And, and how would you feel if you were just doing what God called you to do and then you got beat for it? It's one, it's one thing for somebody to argue with you on Facebook. It's another thing when they take you and they beat you for preaching Jesus. It happens today. It happens in all, all kinds of countries all over the world, China, North Korea, all over the place. It happens today as we speak. They're, they're hijacking Christians as they walk to church, beating them, sometimes killing them, taking their children from them. One of the things that we see, though, is that Paul had a defiance. Paul had a defiance in him against the, the, the enemy. And one of the things that we see coming into this, it says in verse number 24, it says, Who having received such a charge, talking about the jailer, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They put them in the middle of the jail. Put them in the middle of the jail and chained them. At that point, most people would say, I must have missed it. God must have told me to go left and I went right. Maybe I shouldn't have gone to this town. Maybe I shouldn't have followed that church. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. I must have missed something because I always was taught that if I just follow the Lord, I'm going to get the Rolls Royce. I'm going to sleep on a bed of gold. I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. But Paul was following Jesus and he began to encounter hardship. And I'm going to tell you, the, the closer we get to the return of the Lord, we're going to encounter hardship as the church of Jesus Christ. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in that world. If you'll get back to that, get back to those old paths and get on your face and call out to God, that holy fire will come down upon you and God will equip you for the battle. God will equip you for what's at hand. But the closer, and I always heard, you know, the church was born in persecution. When, when the Holy Ghost came down, they began to persecute the church. 
not one of the of the disciples didn't go through a hard time. They were filleted alive. They were beaten. They were crucified. They were flung off of cliffs. They, all kinds of things happened to the disciples. Those that walked with Jesus, that ate with Jesus, that that encountered every situation that you read in the Bible, and these very ones faced the worst deaths possible. Why? Because this world does not like Jesus. He is the light of the world, and the darkness comprehends it not. The darkness don't want anything to do with the light of Jesus Christ. And that's why so many Christians face hardship. And if you're not going through a hardship for Jesus, it may be because you're, you've, you've got that precious thing and you've kind of wrapped your arms around it and you're not letting the light of Jesus shine through you. You see, as I said last week, the, the world is going downhill. It's, you know, we're, we're born on our way to hell. We're, we're, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and you don't have to do anything to go to hell. I mean, you just got to be born, live, breathe, pay your taxes, and that's where you'll go. But you have to do something in order to go to heaven, and that is you have to turn from your sin, repent, call on Jesus, believe on that gospel, and be born again, and then you'll go the other way. But as you're going the other way, the current's going to be running against you from now till the time Jesus calls you home. From now till the time Jesus calls you home. And, and here Paul is experiencing that. Well, a lot of times, like I said, in the church we would say, Man, I should have gone left. God must have been telling me to go left, and I went right. I shouldn't be going through this much hardship. All I'm doing is trying to love the Lord and follow his commandment, and here I found myself beating and in jail. And this is where a lot of people would hit depression. This is where a lot of people would say, I missed it. It, God must work for everybody else but not me. That's the whispers of the devil. That's the whispers of the devil. He's a liar. He's lied to you all your life, and he's still lying. He whisper, He's the accuser of the brethren. He is a liar, and he's out to discourage you so that you don't grow in your walk with God. But watch this. What did Paul do? What did Paul do? Most of you know the story. This is the original jailhouse rock. Look what happens here. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Hold on. I want you to catch this. Now, we're going to get to the three. They prayed, they praised, and they preached. But there's something I want you to see. They didn't do it in the quiet of the night. They prayed unto God in the midnight hour, in prison, after being beaten. They, were, they, they, they preached Jesus and were rejected. And yet they prayed and they praised, not, Lord, Lord. They didn't do the golf clap thing, but they prayed and they praised so loud that all the other prisoners heard them. Now think about that. We're in prison because we've, we've, we've stolen from somebody or we've done something that we know is wrong. These people are in prison for preaching Jesus. And they come in here and they're not saying, This is unfair. We're on strike. We need a new mayor. We need a new... They weren't doing any kind of political upheaval. They weren't protesting. They weren't calling on all their friends to go and, you know, let's go and let's let's protest at the Capitol and let's, you know, we're going on a hunger strike. They didn't do any of that. What did they do? They prayed, 
They praised out loud. They showed forth the praises of their God. And God heard them. And God came down on that jail. The prisoners heard them. And the Prince of Peace heard them. And when the Prince of Peace heard them, the Holy Ghost fell on them and shook that whole jail cell. And their chains fell off in the midnight hour. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. The only way chains fall off in the midnight hour is when you praise and when you pray. When you call on the name of the Lord and you're willing to praise Him even when the lights are not on. Come on. Uh, you hear me? Even when you, even when the lights are not on, you're willing to say, Lord, I can't see five feet in front of my face. I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know how I got myself in this situation, but I know this. You are worthy to be praised even in my midnight hour. And I will praise you. You are worthy. I may not have it all together. I may not be a theologian. I may not be skilled in apologetics. I may not have all that or a bag of chips. But I do have this. I can praise you in my midnight hour. You can show forth praises. And nobody else may see it. But those prisoners heard the Holy Ghost came down and shook that jail. Amen? I believe all of heaven, all of heaven began to hit a revival on that one. I believe when they saw Paul and Silas begin to praise in the midnight hour, and I believe, well, you know, God moved because the Holy Ghost came down on that prison cell. And what happened next? The jailer came in. And look what happens. It says, um, well, let's read it here in verse number 26. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And look what happens in verse 29. Listen. Listen to this. Then he called for a light. Come on now. Think about that. There's somebody around you that when you show forth praises and they're still in darkness, they're going to call for a light. They're going to say, hey, what is, what is your hope? How is it that you have that upon you? What is it about you that causes you to look the way that you do in situations? He came in and he called for a light and he, he asked to be able to see. And what did Paul do? He came in and it says he sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul preached. He said, and, and he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. He shared the gospel with him right there. But the, what prompted the whole situation was because Paul and Silas didn't get bitter in their hardship. They turned it over to God. They turned it over to God, and God used them. God shined through them in the darkness. And this guy called for a light. 
And he came in and he got more than a natural light. He got the light of the world. And I, I want you to know this. There are people around you that are in darkness today. There's people around me that are in darkness today. They don't need me complaining about politics. They don't need me complaining about my job. They don't need me complaining about my car. They don't need me to complain about my hardships. They need to see me show forth the praises of my God. That's our calling. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, and our calling is to show forth the praises of our God. That's our calling. And as you walk in that calling, you'll see people around you begin to be reconciled to the Lord. You may say, you know what, That's, that, that is hard because you don't understand what it's like to, to be in my situation. Well, I'm going to share with you two other passages this morning that kind of will help you in this. First one I want to share with you is in Job chapter 1. Let's go over to Job chapter 1, and I want to just kind of go through this. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Job, you know that Job was a righteous man. Amen? Job was a righteous man. How many of you are familiar with Job? Job didn't do anybody any wrong. Amen? How many of you have been in a situation where you feel like, I haven't done anybody wrong. Why is this happening to me? What did I do? I didn't pick on anybody. I didn't do that. Sometimes we begin to have our vision skewed. Job wasn't doing anybody any wrong. And the enemy sought, the enemy sought to inflict damage on him. He lost his livelihood, his home, his children. He lost everything except for his wife that was not, you know, helpful. He lost everything precious to him in one day except for the Lord and except for his wife. He lost everything, and I mean, that's a calamity. He had all these children. This guy was so godly, he offered sacrifices for his children in case they sinned. Now, that's a godly parent. That's a godly parent. It's not only I'm going to tell you what you need to do, because we can all do that, right? We can all tell everybody what they need to do. But Job took it upon himself not only to tell his kids what they need to do, but he took his kids to the altar himself, and he made a sacrifice for each one of his kids himself. And he said, Lord, if they have sinned, this sacrifice is for my kid. This sacrifice is for my other one. And I mean, he, he just was a righteous man, and he interceded for his children. He interceded for his family, those around him. And then all the world came crashing down on him, even though he was righteous and he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything to deserve this. It says in verse number 20, after all of this destruction, it says, Job arose, he rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground, and gave up. No. And, and worshipped. Job in sorrow, in affliction. What does this have to do with Paul? Job is facing his midnight hour. Life is just beating him almost to death. Job has encountered the enemy in a way that no other person, I believe, has since Christ. Job encountered the enemy, and he was allowed to take every single thing in one hour. Everything was gone. And Job 
tears his clothes, shaves his beard, and he falls to the earth that God created. And he worshiped the Lord God Almighty. He did not start, listen, he didn't start a GoFundMe. He didn't start a woe is me. He didn't do any of those. What did he do? He fell down and he worshiped God. He fell down and he worshiped God. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul was in that midnight hour in that prison cell. He worshiped God. In the face of adversity, the godly will begin to shine forth brighter than ever. In the darkest hour, the brightest shine. You see, the darker it gets, the brighter the true church of Jesus Christ will shine. In the face of adversity, something will rise up in the church to begin to show forth the praises of our King. He is worthy of our praise, and the people around us need to see the light of who God is. And Job here begins to do exactly that. He says in the next verse, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave... The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, that's a, one of the songs I remember Newsboy saying it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. Still, my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes God gives and sometimes takes away, but he's worthy to be worshipped even in the hardship. And if you'll begin to get eyesight of that and begin to see God's worthy of my worship, he's precious He's beautiful. He is to be exalted. And just like Paul, they began to worship in that midnight hour, and God God moved. In Job here, he begins, to, in, in his worst hour, he begins to see clearer than ever. Look, there's times that you'll go through experiences that others can't relate to. Nobody else knows what it's like to worship God on the backside of what Job did. Come on now. It's, look, if, if somebody flips me off because I'm holding up the Jesus sign, that's not hardship. I mean, it's not. Glory to God. But that, when you go through a hardship like that, where your children all die in the same day, your livelihood is gone in the same day, everything you own is destroyed in the same day, all gone, to be able to... To be able to have in you a heart to worship God on that day, in that very hour, is a bright light to those around you. That is a witness for God. And only God can do that. But what I want you to see is that God's called us to show forth His praises all the time. Amen? I want to show you one other passage. If you will, turn with me to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter number 18. Verse number 28. In Psalm 18, verse number 28, I want to show you this. You know, Jesus said that if the world hated him, it would hate you. It, it, the, more, the more that he's alive in you, the more that he's visible in you, the more that he's present in you, you have to understand this. The world rejected him. And the one that the world rejected is alive in you. There's something in you that the world's going to reject. And the more that he grows in you, the more that he rises up in you, the more the world's going to come against you. And see, one thing that we have to get out of our mind is if, you know, if the, if the world likes us, we're okay. No, that's actually opposite. 
If the world likes us, that's a big sign that we're going the wrong direction. It's a big sign that we've compromised from the truth of who God is or we've compromised from the standard that He set. Listen to me. His standard has never changed. His nature has never changed. His gospel has never changed. And the world hasn't changed. The world still rejected the same Jesus that they crucified. They still are rejecting Him today. And they're going to reject Him until the day that He comes back to this earth and He rules and reigns from Jerusalem. We have to understand this reality. We have to understand this reality. That greater, greater is He in us than He that's in this world. Than He that's in this world. God's greater, but they will come against us. So look at this. It says in verse number 28, this verse I want you to catch. For thou will light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. You see, there's, there's, there's times that you follow after the Lord and you begin to go in into an area or you begin to experience a season where it seems like the lights go out, where it seems like people are against you, nobody's for you, that nobody's listening and nobody cares and nobody's having to go through what you're having to go through. But I can tell you this one thing, that may be true, but God's with you. And if God's with you and God's in you, he will lighten the darkness that you're in. God is greater than the darkness. The light dispels the darkness. It always has and it always will. Even from the beginning when there's darkness all over the earth, God said, let there be light. And there was light immediately upon His Word. And He says right here that if you are His, He will lighten the darkness around you. Our God is greater than the darkness of this world. And I don't know what the devil's told you, but I know he's lying to you. And I know he's trying to throw darkness upon you. But I'm here to tell you today that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he is greater than the darkness. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will shine forth through you. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will cause things that are dead to come to life. And he will rescue the perishing through you. If you will call upon him, allow God to use you. He will use you in this generation to open blind eyes. Set the captives free. Amen. He will enlighten my darkness. Say that with me. He will enlighten my darkness. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. Father, we bless you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your truth, to hear your word, and to know that you are greater than the darkness in this earth. Lord, I thank you for the fire of God. Thank you for the holiness, God. Thank you, Lord, for the purity and thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing. Lord, I just pray right now for truth to set the captive free. Lord, you said that we shall know the truth and the truth would make us free. Lord, I pray right now that the truth would make your children be free. Lord, thank you that we are no longer under Pharaoh's control. The devil can only lie, can only manipulate, but the truth sets your children free. Lord, I pray today that your children would be free. 